All right, everyone. I'd like to welcome to the program golf course superintendent at the Lakeside Golf Club in Burbank, Robert Herzing. Thanks for joining, Robert. How's it going? Hey, Jonathan. Things are great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. And, you know, to be honest, and I promise I'm not blowing smoke, but Lakeside is quite simply one of the best condition courses I've had the pleasure of stepping foot on. So I got to ask, what's the secret over there? What's in the water? <laughs> well, it's the recycled water. Um, no, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to grow grass, assemble the great team, and the memberships made a considerable considerable investment in the infrastructure to and the tools to allow us to do the job that we do. Yeah, clearly, clearly a team effort over there. And, you know, you started your career at uh, Valencia Country Club before heading up operations at Lakeside, where you've now been for 11 years, I believe. Are there many similarities or maybe differences between the two courses? And is that something that you consider when you're looking to, you know, jump from one course to the other in a in a career trajectory? Yeah, I, I uh, you know, there some similarities in the fact that uh, both were private clubs, both were, you know, high-profile clubs. Um, Lake, Lakeside's a little different in that we don't oversee fairways where, at the time, Valencia Country Club, we were hosting this Champions Tour event annually and overseeding fairways. Uh, same Poana greens, older greens. Um, no, I, I don't know that uh, I look to move. Well, I definitely can tell you this. I'm not looking to move anytime soon. Um, you know, I think you want, you always want to look for a chance to excel and, and better yourself and make yourself look like an all-star in the situation. And then also there's also the take of uh, going to a situation where, you know, you get to take care of a great golf course and work for a great membership, which is job satisfaction at its highest. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think most people understand that agronomy and turf grass management is a science and you can actually get, you know, advanced degrees in these fields. So when did you know that this was the career for you? Well, interesting question there. Um, I grew up playing golf, always, you know, like any golfer, you go to the different golf courses and you see different conditions and, you know, like most golfers, you want to go play the best condition golf course possible. And for me, that was growing up in Southern California and playing junior golf events. It was any time we got to go play a, a Valencia Country Club or Yorba Linda at the time was really great, um, still is. I know a good friend of mine who I actually went to school with, Elliot, he's there, and they just rebuilt their greens a year ago, and they're spectacular. Um, but, you know, as a golfer, you always yearn for, hey, I want to go play a great condition golf course. Well, played golf growing up. That was great. And then I wanted to go to college, thought I wanted to be a doctor, got into a, a medical program where you went to UCR uh, undergraduate, and you went to UCLA medical school, and you got your degree in less you less time and I got about two quarters into that program and said well this isn't the track for me so started looking for an, another option in a career and the golf pro um, at Industry Hills at the time he, he said hey you know you need to go talk to the superintendent that might be something you're interested in because it's science based you get to be associated with golf on a golf course and that summer I went and started working on the grounds crew at Industry Hills and transferred to Cal Poly, which has a great turf grass program on the West Coast, and ended up uh, getting through that in a couple of years. And, you know, from there, took a 
journey down south to Marbella Country Club as an assistant superintendent. was there two years and then to Valencia Country Club for eight. And as you said, I've been at Lakeside for almost 11 years now. Yeah, quite the journey. And, you know, I guess you spoke a little bit about it there going down south. But, you know, do you specialize in a specific climate or grass type? Or, you know, would your expertise and your background be able to travel across the country to different environments or climates? Well, I, I think no matter where you're growing grass, it's still agronomy and uh, solid foundational agronomic principles apply. It, you know, it applies no matter what crop you're growing or to where you're growing it. Um, right. Whether you're growing turf grass to growing corn, we're all dealing with the same nutrient inputs and the same requirements that uh, plants take to grow. So it, it, you can transfer a lot. I know there's some regional and specific timing issues that come with weather patterns that as you, you know, being in Southern California my whole life, I know weather patterns and weather patterns that are specific to Southern California that if I drop myself in New York City, so to speak, I'd have a, a steep learning curve as to get some of the timing and weather patterns that are associated with that. Right. And, you know, a lot of golfers, you know, whether we, uh, want to admit it or not, but, you know, aeration is a big factor in choosing, you know, where we're going to go play at said golf course. So what is a normal normal aeration, aeration schedule, and does it depend on the type of grass and or the climate? Is there a different aeration schedule for, say, East Coast courses as opposed to out here? Well, sure. I mean, I'll, I've, I'll speak to out here because that's what I'm most familiar with. Um you know, aeration in Southern California, typically golf courses will aerify greens two to three times a year. And usually you'll find a, a spring, fall, and sometime midsummer aeration schedule. And it's just, it's vital to uh, getting air and oxygen into that root system. Uh, depending on how much traffic your golf course receives, you'll get some compaction in the very top surface, which just inhibits that ability for that gas exchange between the soil and the air. And that aeration hole will help facilitate oxygen getting to the root zone. And like anything that's living, it needs oxygen. And if it's just cut off from a fresh supply of air, it just is going to slowly deteriorate. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite scientific and yeah. fanta fantastic insight. I love it. So, you know, the the interesting thing to that though is is people always say, oh, just when the greens are getting good, you guys always aerify them, and it's the reason we do that is because you want the greens growing quickly and looking healthy so that you can have a quicker recovery. Because you know, all of us have had to do it at a time or two that if you got a green that's looking sick and not performing real well, and you go and aerify it, that recovery period is just exacerbated because the plant's unhealthy going into it. So. Typically, we always aerify when the turf's actively growing so that the recovery time's minimal. Yep. Well, and that's good, and I'm sure you've learned over the years that superintendents probably shouldn't be listening to the peanut gallery, uh, you know, the random <laughs> the random member that, you know, m missed a couple three-footers coming in. So. Right, right. Uh, and you mentioned it earlier. What What's the overseeding process accomplished? We see that at a lot of courses in the coming months out here as we prepare for winter months. Yeah, so so overseeding, um, which has has become a little less and less in our area uh, because of the water and the fertility inputs that are required, 
Um, basically, overseeding, you're taking your warm season, your base grass that thrives in the warmer seasons, in the you know spring through late summer, that will go dormant and turn off color and turn brown uh, in the winter months, and you're taking a cool season grass and seeding over the top of it. So you're basically having two grasses that cohabitate through the winter months. What that cool season grass will do is it'll provide color and provide an actively growing plain surface to play golf on through the winter months. And and at Lakeside, we do not overseed the fairways. We let them go dormant. They go off color for about six weeks in the wintertime. Um, because we don't have a lot of traffic here, they tend to the thatch layer still stays plush and is a nice little pad to hit the golf ball off of. We do, however, overseed the roughs and the tee boxes. Um, that overseeding in the rough versus the fairway provides a nice contrast and a nice delineation of where the rough is and where the fairway is. Yeah, it is a cool contrast to see that too. So, have and here's a question that might make you shudder a little bit. Uh, so I'll, I'll wait and hear your response. Have you ever lost a green or a fairway to disease or pest? I know that's just the super's nightmare. <laughs> well, um, knock on wood, you know, we've we've had our stressed areas and our thin areas, but I've uh, never had a complete failure. Um, but it's, you know, it's 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 always lurking around the corner. Um, <laughs> right. It can go south really quick. We're you know we're we're dealing with a, a living, growing plant and a changing weather pattern, with people trampling all over it all the time. Um, you just never know. And you know, it's it's quite frankly, we're as superintendents, we're tasked with a pretty valuable product. And if we lose something like that, it's a pretty big replacement cost, not only in time and money to replace the grass, but then your downtime that members are either playing or golfers are playing on a temporary green or their holes out of play. So we're, we're, we always keep our guard up, especially in the summertime when things can happen quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I knocked on wood over here for you too. See, we, we got you. it. We got I, it covered. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. So last year we held our biggest championship, uh, the SDJ Amateur Championship at your home course, and yeah. it was phenomenal. What was it like seeing just the region's best try to try to tackle your setup? And did you guys do anything differently, knowing that the guys teeing it up that week were some of the best in the state? And obviously, you know, our champion last year, Sahith, is now on tour. So you were really dealing with top-level future pros. Yeah. Well, you know, you guys in the SCGA and led by Jeff Nineman, you guys such have such a fantastic uh, tournament staff that, you know, I, I wanted to communicate with Jeff and say, hey, whatever you guys want, we're going to try to provide for you. You know, I was able to draw on my background working with the PGA Tour and kind of their standards. Um, and then, you know, just Lakeside, we try to keep an elevated standard year-round anyway, but... You know, I just wanted to give them a, a good, fair golf course that was consistent from tee to green, and all the greens were the same. And, you know, we're we're in the middle of July, and it was warm, but we wanted to try to keep it firm but playable. And just, you know, we wanted it fair. We wanted, uh, we wanted the champion to be determined because of his skill, not because of he got a good bounce on the golf mm -hmm. course. And, and, you know, working with Jeff and kind of we – we are fortunate. We host an event every year called the Kelly Cup. It's always uh, 
the directive in that is always to make a very difficult golf course. So we kind of drew on some of the whole locations that we had from there. And, you know, you guys, like I said, you guys did a great job in setting it up. And I think as it's showing, the best in the field won that week. And he's got a very bright career ahead of him. Absolutely. The crease, the cream rose to the top that week. And, uh, it did. Yeah. It, did. it was pretty, it's pretty neat. You know, Lakeside, Lakeside's only, uh, 6,800 yards from the back tees, which these kids were, um, uh, just bombing it. But, uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting that, and I, you, maybe you could clarify some of the scoring, like Seath kind of lapped the field and he was in double digits under par, but there was only a few other people under par that week, which so the golf course held its own. Which was yeah, it, uh, it, it, it you know really did. exciting to exciting to see the membership was excited to see the golf course held its own, and that was nice. Yeah, it was great. I mean, finishing in second was Trip Morris, who owns, owns right. the course record and is a member there. So he had a little Correct. bit of that local knowledge. But otherwise, Sahif certainly lapped the field. I think he went sixty-five, sixty-four on the weekend. So um, yeah, certainly cream rose to the top and. You know, we spoke a little bit about how you can make it firm and fast, but on the flip side, you know, what are some tactics that a super can do to go from firm and fast to soft and receptive and then back and forth? How how are you able to sort of tinker with the golf course? Primarily, your your biggest lever to pull when you're trying to firm things up is just water and planning out your irrigation, timing your irrigation, uh, making sure that that root zone has enough moisture to support the health of the plant, but allow that top surface area where you're playing golf on to dry up a little bit and come a little faster. Um, yep. You know, sand top dressing is uh, a key to some of our success. That sand allows for that little buffer zone between the native soil, which tends to be a little cakier and hold more moisture. So that sand top dressing which is actually where the ball's impacting the turf. Um, you know, we sand top dress pretty consistently, and that really helps with playability of the golf course also. Cool. And I will uh, I'll leave you with this. You know, what, what's just one thing that people maybe don't realize about your profession that might be behind the scenes or something that they just didn't realize that went into the job? Mm, wow. Um, it's a very... There's a lot of moving parts to this job, and that's what really keeps it interesting for me. Between the irrigation and their computerized irrigation system, to managing a staff. Um, you know, staff sizes vary, but we crank up to about 30 people at at our peak. Uh, to equipment, you got a, an equipment fleet that's worth up to a million dollars, if not more. Um, everything's always changing too. You got an environment that's always changing. The weather's always changing. You got tournaments to set up for, so there's never a dull day, and there's never like a pre-programmed uh, recipe for for this. What we do, it's it's got to be constantly changing, and it, it, it's really interesting, and it keeps you coming back for more. So I, it's part of the job, I guess, I enjoy the most. Yeah, that's great. That's great, Robert, and. Uh... I think with that, I'll let you go. Um, and, you know, that's it for this session of Quarantine Chronicles. But thanks so much for your time, Robert. It's super interesting. Uh, great chatting with you, and hopefully we'll see you soon. All the best. Great. Thanks. Have a great day.